Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We welcome you here to the nave of Marsh Chapel, whether you are here present with us at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, whether you're listening live over the radio at WBUR 90.9 FM, or listening over internet signals at WBUR.org. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as University Chaplain for Community Life here at Marsh Chapel. Particular word of welcome to the Reverend Megan Stowe, here, uh, a School of Theology alumna, here to help us read the service this morning. We welcome to the pulpit our very own Jessica Chica, University Chaplain for International Students, as the second speaker in our National Summer Preacher Series this summer. I bear greetings on behalf of our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, as he is away in these summer months and looks fat forward to be being back with us in August. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. O Lord, mercifully receive the prayers of your people who call upon you, and grant that they may know and understand what things they ought to do, and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Our hearts break, do they not? In this week following seven senseless deaths, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Lorne Ahrens, Michael Kroll, Michael J. Smith, Brent Thompson, and Patrick Zamarifa. Our hearts break under the weight of sin, our own sin, and the sin of our communities and society. And so we confess before God and pray for forgiveness.
seven senseless deaths. We speak the names of seven persons whose own voices were silenced this week in the wake of sinful actions undertaken under the auspices of a sinful society. And yet, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 9 through 14. And the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all your undertakings, in the fruit of your body, in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your soil. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, just as he delighted in prospering your ancestors when you obey the Lord your God by observing his commandments and decrees that are written in this book of the law, because you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A letter from St. Paul's Epistle to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints of the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the very day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learn from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 25, verses 1 to 10 with the antiphon. I lift up my soul. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all day long. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. 
He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. stand as we are able for the singing of the glory pottery and the reading of the gospel. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Glory to you, O Lord. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, And he fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. 
Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Good morning. I'm thankful for the opportunity to speak to you as part of the Marsh Chapel Summer Preaching Series focused on a Lucan horizon, drawing out the themes of compassion and justice within the Gospel of Luke. These messages are always relevant, but seem even more pertinent in our current situation. Who would have thought that at the beginning of this week, amidst the fireworks and barbecues and time spent with family and friends, celebrating ideals like freedom, democracy, and independence, we would end the week with such great tragedy. Here we are again, mourning loss of life again, feeling overwhelmed and frustrated by the violence in our world again. Again, again, and again. I don't have words to express my outrage and brokenness in light of recent events. To borrow the words of the presiding bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, Elizabeth Eaton, I don't think I've ever felt like this before. It took me a long time to prepare for this week's sermon. And by a long time, I I mean it took me a long time to actually sit down and write. Repeatedly this week, we as a nation and members of a global society woke up to news of violence and death from the night before in our own country. By Friday, I became afraid to check social media. The previous two days, my newsfeed was filled with videos of the police shootings of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile, and the accompanying lament, anger, and sorrow from my friends. It was devastating to realize that this is happening again. Not that it has ever really stopped happening. We're just highly aware of it now because of our access to social media, phones with cameras, and live streaming. Our nation is steeped in a history of racism which perpetuates the same systemic injustice and hate towards people of color generation after generation. Friday was no different than the previous two days. I woke up to the news of 11 police officers shot five of which were killed, while on patrol at a rally protesting the police shootings that had taken place in Baton Rouge and St. Paul. Photos from earlier that evening showed police officers and protesters together, peacefully gathering, later shattered by gunshots aimed at those police officers. After weeks and weeks of horrific news and terror in our own country, Orlando, Baton Rouge, St. Paul, Dallas, and around the world, Istanbul, Dhaka, Baghdad, and yesterday in Balad, we are in crisis. In all my grappling with the news this week, I turn to our gospel reading. 
I wanted a word of hope in this seemingly relentless barrage of death and destruction. What does the gospel have to offer us in this time of need? What is the good news of God given by Jesus that can help us in our lament? Today's gospel invites us to see and do. We love the parable of the Good Samaritan. It exemplifies the message of Christ to us, to love God and in so doing, love our neighbors as ourselves. It has permeated our culture so much that the term Good Samaritan is something we find in news stories and even in our laws. In those contexts, it means someone who helps someone else who is in a dangerous or life-threatening situation without expectation of recognition or acknowledgement. But that doesn't really get to what's happening in, the, in this passage from Luke. To understand the meaning of the parable, we must first truly understand the lawyer and his position within his context. A lawyer in Jesus' time was a religious official. The law was religious law, the laws of the Hebrew Bible. In asking Jesus his initial question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer already knew the answer. And Jesus knows that, turning the question back on him. What is written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer responds by quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18 to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your might and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says he's correct in his reading and understanding of the law. But the lawyer is not satisfied with Jesus' answer. Perhaps in an attempt to trap Jesus into making a mistake, sensing that Jesus' answer will go against you as cheating, the lawyer continues his questioning. And who is my neighbor? You see, the concept of the neighbor is limiting in the lawyer's perspective. In Jewish society at this time, there were boundaries constructed by rules about how one was to interact with others depending on one's with depending on one's place in society. How Jewish people could interact with Gentiles and Samaritans. How women should interact with men. How priests should interact with Israelites. There were clear lines as to who you had to consider as your neighbor and who you did not. And to act in love to someone who was on the other side of those boundaries was completely out of the question. In Luke's writing, Jesus often often answers questions like the one posed by the lawyer with a parable. A parable is a wonderful narrative tool because it requires the listener to actively engage in the story. It begs the question of who you identify with and why. It requires the listener to determine the moral of the story. It answers a question or resolves the situation in indirect ways, putting the onus on the listener to determine what is right and wrong. Utilizing a narrative device like this puts a face on the response that isn't just an abstract concept. It's people in conceivably real-life situations, an ethical dilemma. What we often misunderstand in this story is the lawyer's aversion to the Samaritan. Samaritans were viewed as the lowest of the low, 
unclean people who had perverted Judaism by marrying outside of the culture, taking on new religious practices. That's why labeling this parable as the Good Samaritan is necessary. The good is meant to sound like an oxymoron to the initial hearers of this story. The lawyer would not trust a Samaritan and might not even travel into places where Samaritans were known to live. So for Jesus to set up a Samaritan as the neighbor in this story is anathema to the lawyer. It's completely unexpected. In contrast to the Samaritan, we have the priest and the Levite, men who are leaders within the Jewish faith. They avoid what they perceive to be a potentially polluting situation because of their adherence to the rules, the ritual and priority of interacting with a potentially dead body. Or maybe it's that they're afraid. The road described between Jerusalem and Jericho is a steep hill with twists and turns, making it ideal for robbers to hide. What if the priest and the Levite were being set up to fall into the same trap while they helped the man who was injured? They were not willing to take that chance for whatever reason, whether out of adherence to the rules or fear of the same thing happening to them. The Samaritan does not allow himself to be constricted by rules or fear. He does not think of what social convention dictates about how he should interact with this person. He only sees someone who is in need. The Samaritan sees another person, a neighbor, someone close in proximity to him who needs help. He is the one who has compassion, the one who shows mercy. He acts in love. He is able to put himself in the place of the person who is hurting and recognize that what is most important is his safety. He is the neighbor to the man in the ditch. The lawyer recognizes that compassion is the right action. He knows that it is better to care for someone who is hurting than to avoid their pain. He tells Jesus when Jesus asks who the neighbor is, the one who showed him mercy. The lawyer must learn from this outsider, the one who he would have otherwise rejected, what the love of God and neighbor truly looks like. The Samaritan's compassion reveals something far beyond what it means to be a neighbor to someone. It reveals the humanness of those that we stereotype into the other. But the Samaritan isn't just a rescuer. He doesn't just take the beaten man out of immediate danger. He makes sure that the man's wounds are cleaned and bandaged, that he has safe lodging, and that he is cared for by the innkeeper. He will come back to check in on the man's safety and well-being later in the week. The Samaritan puts himself in a position of healing, of ongoing care, along with the innkeeper. He doesn't just assume that the man in the ditch will be able to, to find help from others. He connects him with support and comfort. He develops a relationship with him. It's the difference between putting a Band-Aid on a deep cut and expecting it to heal and carefully cleaning it out, getting medical assistance and ensuring it's in continued care. So where do you see yourself in this story? Are are you the man who's been robbed? Are you the robber? Are you the priest or the Levite, the Samaritan, the innkeeper, the lawyer? I think we all want to be the Samaritan. 
We all know that what the Samaritan does is what God ultimately wants us to do in the face of tragedy or injustice. We all know that inside ourselves is the capacity to love each other the way God wants us to love. But sometimes our culture, our social systems, our preconceived notions stand in our way. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we can't be the Samaritan, but in many cases we fall short. In some cases we may be closer to the priest or the Levite. I know I am guilty of this of occasionally seeing someone who might be in need or hurting and avoiding them because I don't have time or I'm afraid of being taken advantage of or being made feel unsafe. I fail to see the people who are in need of help. In the case of what's going on in our country today, we have broken and bloodied bodies to account for. These bodies are not the root of the problem, however. In order to properly heal this situation, we need to address the larger systemic issues in our world that contribute to the expansion and intensity of violence between people who perceive the other to be bad or wrong or threatening. In a post made today on Religion Dispatch's um, blog, the theologian and ethicist Dr. Emily Towns got to the heart of the matter. Quote, we must stop and look at ourselves, all of us. Take an account of how we sanction or contribute to the madness that has overtaken us, a calculating, hoarding madness that fails to take in the complexity of this nation and our world. The rising death toll and the classism, sexism, racism, heterosexist, transsexism, militarism, and more that fuel this disregard for human lives will not stop the violence until we decide to stop them and then act to make it so. What is at stake here today in our context is injustice. Racial injustice, economic injustice, LGBTQ injustice, religious injustice. We have to acknowledge these systemic causes rather than the isolated incidents that have occurred. Systems of injustice in our country have never really been fully acknowledged or alleviated. We've made strides, for sure, but underneath there have continued to be forms of aggression and domination that have increased the distance between living, people living in the same community. We let fear dictate how we are to respond to situations of injustice. We let it overcome us and keep us from doing that which is compassionate. We skirt by on the other side of the road and shout to the man in the ditch how to get up and help himself instead of tending to his wounds and making sure that healing is on its way. Forms of injustice are evident even with, within the church. My own denomination, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, continues to struggle with the challenge of, challenges of systemic racism. The ELCA is the least racially diverse Protestant denomination in the United States. A staggering 96% of our denomination claims white European heritage. There's currently a movement within the church 
decolonize Lutheranism, which aims to point out the ways that Lutheranism has in some ways held so tightly to its cultural heritage that it fails to see how exclusive it's become. How in some cases, the theological standpoints of defining oneself as Lutheran, such as justification by faith alone being extended to all, have been superseded by assuming that everyone in the church will be of the same background. So even sometimes as Christians, we can fall short of acting like the Samaritan in this parable. We can create spaces that make others feel unwelcome or fail to include them and their stories in our communities. Right now is when we need God's help the most, when we need to be reminded that love prevails over death and destruction, when we remember that God's only Son proclaims to us the necessity of proclaiming good news to the poor, healing the sick, releasing the imprisoned, and freeing the oppressed. How can we go and do likewise? How can the Samaritan's compassion translate to our own compassion in seeking justice? How do we translate our fears and distrust into love? If we turn to the advice that Paul gives the church in Colossae, we are called to lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as we bear fruit in every good work and as we grow in our knowledge of God. We can start by reaching out to those around us. Just like the Samaritan, we need to see and do. Instead of seeing the injustices that have been unveiled for us and letting them continue to harm, we need to act. By making connections with people we encounter on a daily basis, by checking in with those whom we know might be hurting just to ask them how they're doing, by listening, by standing by, by giving a hug or holding a hand, but most importantly, by advocating for justice that recognizes the full humanity of all people, most importantly, those who are oppressed, whether they are black, Latino, LGBTQ, Muslim, or any of the other communities in our country, who face outright discrimination and hate. We must see the people in front of us rather than getting caught up in abstracted ideas about groups of people which may not even be true. So I invite you to start here, right here, this very chapel. Let us see and act in the simplest of ways. Our neighbors are those who are in closest proximity to us, the person sitting next to you or behind you, the people up here in the front or in the narthex. Some of us know each other. Some of us don't. Some of us have been coming here for years. Some of us are visiting for the first time today. But all of us are here now in a community of worship and fellowship brought together by our faith. I invite you to seek out your neighbors in this building right now and greet them. Share God's peace with them. Give them a smile, a handshake, and if they agree to it, a hug. Take this recognition of those around you right now 
and leave this building today reminded that our neighbors don't have to look like us or even have to be someone that we know in order for us to show compassion to them. Let us remember that in every time, the peace of God is always with us, especially when we are in community with others. May the peace of God be always with you. Let us exchange signs of God's peace with one another. Amen.
We turn now to a time of prayer for our lives, our communities, and our lives in our communities. I invite you to assume a physical posture that you find most meaningful, sitting, standing, kneeling at the altar rail. Please join with the choir in the call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. God, we know all created beings are image bearers, that every organism carries and can reflect your light. But we struggle to see that light in everyone. We all have blinders we need to work to remove so that we can see and embrace our fellow humans as deserving of love and respect that all lives matter only when black lives matter too. Give us strength to do the hard work of loving our neighbor, regardless of who our neighbor is, and regardless of how or if our neighbor loves us. And yet others of us disregard your image. Others of us willingly or unwittingly treat humans as subhuman due to inaccurate perceptions, outdated misconceptions, and blatant bigotry. Clinging to the belief that all things are possible through you, God, guide us all, police officer and civilian, black and white, Latino and Middle Eastern, politician and revolutionary, Christian and Muslim, and members of every other man-made category. Guide us to reconciliation, compassion, and humility. God, many of us are angry. Many of us shake with fury and struggle to put words to unspeakable atrocities where an image bearer is left dying in a ditch or a car or on a sidewalk. We are energized by passionate anguish to react and respond. Motivate our actions to be responses for justice, for righteousness, for peace, for your will to be done. And yet others of us are pleased and comfortable. Others of us delight in the confusion and destruction caused by us or by those around us. Others of us think homogenizing our communities, our cities, our states, our countries, our world 
represents advancement or even your will. May Jesus' life and teachings of inclusion and peace become the preferred model to follow rather than paths of terror and violence. God, many of us are tired. Our eyes run dry from endless weeping. Our throats close from constant gasping sobs. Our bodies collapse from trembling with grief and sadness. Whether we live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or Medina, Saudi Arabia, Falcon Heights, Minnesota, or Aleppo, Syria, Dallas, Texas, or Baghdad, Iraq, or Turkey, or Orlando, or Iran, or Israel, or Palestine, or Nigeria, or Ecuador, or China, or any other corner of your creation. May the injured and ill, the oppressed and ostracized, the bullied and victimized, the survivor and the bystander have the space to grieve, to lament, to cry out, to ask how long, how much longer? And yet some of us aren't tired. Some of us are invigorated by the violence occurring in different pockets of the world. Some of us feel encouraged to join in the hateful speech and rhetoric of ignorance and intolerance. God give us all an appetite for understanding and respectful curiosity. Remind us of the beauty of the other, the wonder of your vast and varied creation, and the awe of the strength of your net, which doesn't break no matter how full. We ask all these things in the multitude of unspoken prayers of your people to be done through the Holy Spirit's movement. And now, as beautiful but broken children of God, we gather the courage to join our voices to pray the prayer your Son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.
peace of the Lord be always with you. We welcome you once again here to the Nave of Marsh Chapel and I invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We look forward next Sunday to welcoming the Reverend Dr. Lawrence Edward Carter Sr., the Dean of the Martin Luther King Jr. International Chapel at Morehouse College in Atlanta. He'll be with us for the next two Sundays as uh, the third preacher in our Summer preacher series. As the summer moves on, upcoming services and activities are available on the Marsh Chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate upon Henry Purcell's setting, O God, Thou Art My God, a setting of Psalm 63. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
merciful God, everything in heaven and earth belongs to you. We joyfully release what you have entrusted to us. May these gifts be signs of our whole lives returned to you, dedicated to the healing and unity of all creation. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Please join in singing hymn 426, Behold a Broken World. May God bless us and keep us. May God's face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May God look on us with favor and give us peace.